Hey, thanks for staying late on a Friday to make this happen. No problem. I've been uh, testing espresso the last two hours. I'm uh, very awake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've had some of those days. There's days when you're like, why didn't I test espresso early in the morning? But yeah, it was. Uh, but now I can drink some beer very soon, so it should be okay. The way I know I drink too much coffee is sometimes I'll wake up the next morning and I'm already jacked. I'm still jacked up like when I wake up. <laughs> But the morning after, rather than like a hangover, it's like the opposite of whatever a hangover is. It's like a, Jesus. a, a uh, coffee buzz still 24 hours later. But <laughs> I haven't had that yet, but maybe today. So, so Tim, hey, so thanks for getting on the call. So Saab did the last couple months and really longer than that last couple of years, but more of a focus last couple of months. I've been asking questions about efficiency. And when we think about efficiency, it's kind of centered around one is efficiency of the space. So how much coffee can you roast in a really small space? And then also efficiency of work hours. How do you roast a lot of coffee without wasting a lot of time? And when I was there, I was really impressed, you know, because I went to your cafe and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you used to roast here. And then... <laughs> I've seen your new space and it's actually not huge compared to Americans. You know, they will drive an hour out away in the country to get a very, very large space that probably then they can collect a lot of junk in. And, you know, you go into the roasteries and there's just old equipment randomly sitting around that's not working and, yeah. and some collection of random boxes and some pipe and, and random bags that they stopped using 20 years ago. And so, but I guess I was inspired by a couple of things. One, it was like a essentialism of items where there wasn't one item there that didn't seem to be essential to the operation, where you were somehow able to let go of things that, you know, were absolutely essential to operation rather than keeping around. So anyway, I just wanted to talk to you about that and hear like, how did that come about? Like, is that a cultural thing in, <laughs> in, in Norway or is that, a, is that a youth thing just over time in business or were you abused as a child? Is there, how did that all happen? It reflects my personality a little bit, I think, because I hate to own a lot of things. For me, the more stuff to keep around, the more worries you have in your head. Mm. But it's definitely because of my training in, in coffee shops where every... I, I started working at a very small coffee shop and we didn't have a lot of space there. So we needed to kind of keep everything at a minimum all the time. And everything that was in the bar had a purpose and was had its place as well. Like everyone knew if you had a spoon in your hand, everyone knew where that spoon had to be. <laughs> mm -hmm. So when you put it back somewhere, everyone knew where it should be. And uh, that's also kind of the system we had in our bar. And especially because our roastery was so small inside the little store there. And it, it's a space where customers came in. We had to keep it very neat and tidy. And, and I kind of, yeah, I get rid of everything we didn't need. And uh, for me, it's quite easy. I, I, you know, having stuff that you don't need, it's just fills up space that you need to pay for. So for me, it's better to get rid of it. When we built a new roastery, we actually wanted to have the roasting space a little bit bigger, but then we also wanted storage there. And uh, we, we were thinking about it and discussing Ben and I, and we came to the conclusion that we actually need more storage space than we need production space because 
we, we can produce in a very, very small space, but where you're going to store the roasted coffee, where you're going to store the green coffee, that's kind of what actually takes up a lot of space. And we've been limited because rent is expensive. Here. We've been limited to, to having small spaces and work around that. So when you have those limitations, you have to make it work somehow. Like with the soda, we, we made it work by turning around the hopper on the, <laughs> on the color sorter. I mean, you just have to be a little creative. And uh, normally that works quite well. Yeah. So how much space do you have? Do you know how many square meters you have devoted to green storage and roasting? Or like what the width and length of the space is? It's actually the total space with storage and the roastery is 93 square meters. And it's, okay. and it's probably roughly broken up, maybe slightly more for storage and slightly less for roasting. But it's almost, it seemed like it was almost equal, uh, almost half and half, right? No, actually, the storage is uh, much bigger. Between 50 and 60 square meters is storage, and the rest is uh, the roastery. Wow, that's that's great. And how much roughly volume of coffee are you moving through there in a month, uh, roasted coffee? Are you able to roast in that size space? Well, at the moment, we're doing four tons a month, but we're only roasting two days a week, so we could double it easily. Wow. Uh, we, could, we could probably do you know, 10 tons a month there if we could sell that much. <laughs> wow. We, we like to kind of keep one day as a maintenance day and cleaning day. So I think, you know, our total capacity meant for this space is to roast four days a week. And we could right. easily do uh, yeah, between uh, around 15 batches of 30 kilos per day. That's easy. We, could, we can do 20, but if 15 is comfortable. So another thing that caught my attention when I was there is just planning. When the new equipment came, I could see you guys immediately, your entire production team, yourself, and your other two team members. So it's three of you guys total. Um, rather than just kind of, most people we see, they kind of just jump in and start using stuff. But I could tell you guys uh, spent a lot of time on planning. And there was a lot of discussion, planning, so that, and I never got to see you guys do much production, but just based on that, I was going, my guess is when they do production, everybody has a very specific job and everybody knows what their job is. And every, there's a very clear flow, almost a dance of people that they really clearly know their job and know what amount of speed it needs to be done in so that everything keeps flowing and no one's backed up and there's no inefficiency of time because just the way you guys were talking. So what does it look like on production day as far as jobs? Is it clearly laid out? How do people know what their job is? Yeah, we have one roasting shift, which the, that person is only roasting coffee. Mm. And uh, that person is also doing the QC, like taking color measurements and so on on the coffee. So that's the person going back and forth from the storage, picking up the green coffee, moving it into the roastery, roasting it, and then kind of checking the weight and color and everything. And then once that's done, it's either, it either passes or not. And if it passes, uh, then we have two people doing packing. One would do take care of the soda logistics, so filling the, the conveyor hopper first or the lift, mm -hmm. and then uh, kind of labeling the coffee there. 
and then that person would go and do the way fill, you know, the machine that measures out the grams in the bag. So that right. person kind of sits on that machine and goes back and forth because the bottleneck is actually sealing the bags. So we have one person only sealing the bags. That's like two machines. And that person seals the bags, put them in like plastic crates and labels it and puts them on the shelf. And then once all of that is done and the roasting is done, they can start packing for customers. Then you're basically taking it from batches that are all the same coffee and turn it into orders where customers may have different amounts of bags of different different coffee that then all batch together into orders rather than similar yeah. so so all the batches are of course packed separate and labeled with batch numbers and so that we can trace if there's a mistake somewhere you know and if we get a complaint or whatever so uh, everything is traceable yeah we we kind of pa- like to pack everything uh, first and then after we kind of finished roasting and packing they start packing orders for customers to be sent out and normally um, on a, for instance on wednesdays we we pack for international shipping so normally all the coffee that we roast on a wednesday is sent out almost immediately and there okay. might be some leftovers for the day after that we can pack the day after for local customers Okay, so then, Wednesdays uh, are your international day, but so are some of the international is shipped out, and then uh, local is some shipped and some delivered by car locally. Yeah, so we normally also we ship locally uh, on Wednesdays. So because we have a guy coming to pick up all the packages for the postal service, he comes on Wednesday. So we try to kind of take all the everything that's going to be shipped. We roast on Wednesday. And everything that's going to be delivered by us by car, we roast on Thursday. And also whatever we need for the store, we roast on Thursday. Because then there's always some leftovers from orders or batches. Because we can't, you know, we always roast the same batch size. So if we have orders that's 20 kilos and we roast 25 kilos, you know. It's a lot of planning and logistics uh, that's done on Monday and Tuesday. uh, And also Wednesdays by our office team. So, so interesting. That's one of the variables you always keep the same. You don't change batch size so that you're able to... It's easier to keep a consistent roast if you're having the same batch size. Yeah. So always the same batch size. And there are some coffees where we have smaller batches, but it's always the same size. <laughs> right. Like the expensive geishas, we normally do 15 or 20 kilo batches uh, always. Right. So I'm curious with COVID and a lot of roasters around the world are seeing a huge uptick in online sales because people are just more interested in getting things delivered. I'm curious if that has affected you as well. Are are there people doing more online sales? Are you seeing an uptick in online sales uh, in the last six months? Yeah, definitely. Our subscription is uh, growing. It it, it really boomed in March, April, but then... Because the postal service couldn't deliver because of COVID, they basically shut down delivery service in almost all the countries <laughs> that we can send to. Oh, uh, yeah. Things things were really delayed, and people got impatient, and you know. So, so then we kind of recommended people not to order <laughs> for a while until the postal service was up and running again. And now it's now it's going back, but it's not the same kind of boom we experienced in March. But uh, it's definitely has been growing since January. I mean, we're up a lot on both the subscription and also like random orders online. So that's growing. And, and of course, wholesale is down because most of our restaurants clients are either shut down or they have half capacity or 
something like that. And a lot of the offices we sell to are also people have home office, you know, they don't go to the office anymore. So and the wholesale is actually down probably 30%. And mm. uh, I would say web shop is up maybe 30 to 40%. I don't have the mm. exact numbers. But of yeah. course, the volume is much smaller because one order is 250 right. grams and not 25 kilos. <laughs> right. <laughs> Going back to the efficiency question, you do training, you do consulting, you've seen different people's roasteries over the years and how they're roasting. What is like the top things you're seeing out there as far as where people are very inefficient when you've gone out and visited the roasteries? Like what's the top things you would recommend if people are wanting to do things in a more efficient way? Where are some of the easiest to implement where you get the most bang for your buck, so to speak, in terms of increasing efficiency in the roastery i think planning the roast day in advance uh, that's one major thing so that you actually know what you're going to roast when you come in the morning mm. we label all the bags the day before so and we measure all the batches the day before so everything is ready so once you start roasting there's no in between roasts there's only like three minute breaks where we are kind of cooling down the roaster a little bit and preparing for the next batch so we always have the same amount of time in between each batch and it's not like we roast one batch and then we pack that we label it we go and have some lunch we come back we roast another batch i see a lot of uh, roasteries doing it like that and that's extremely inefficient so if you kind of have prepared everything in advance, it's so much easier to just roast through all the batches and then pack them as you roast and get finished, you know? So so, so once you, what you're saying, once you start roasting, you're on a set schedule of, of yeah. roast, wait three minutes, roast until you're done and you're not stopping because yeah. you're, not, you're not having to go figure out what you're doing next. All the coffee's ready, all the bags are ready and it's able to keep things flowing very smoothly. So it sounds like yeah. a big part of the efficiency is good preparation and planning where there's no confusion on what you're trying to do that day. You're very clear on what, it, what your goal is and all your materials are prepared. Then you're just going in to execute it. Yeah. And uh, of course, you can have some mistakes or something, but you always have time to like, let's say you, you have a misroast, like a one batch failed. And then you always have time to go in and measure it for the last batch, you know, so you can always roast that at the end. And also, if we have like a full day of batches, like 20 batches, it's not very humane for one person to roast all of those without a break. So then we normally have another person who can step in while that main roaster can go and have some lunch, come back and then take over again. So... Yeah, we don't like to have any breaks or anything. We just uh, <laughs> go through it uh, in one go. Right. So if someone needs a break, the person's taking a break, but the, the, the roasting machine is not taking a break. The operation yeah. is moving. Interesting. And everybody's cross-trained. So if someone calls in sick or someone's out on, on holiday or something happens, everything's able to keep going pretty much uh, without interruption. Yeah, we have uh, three people who can roast, plus me, but I rarely do it. So if I'm going to step in, I need like maybe half a day to just to get into the routines again. <laughs> but we have three persons who rotate on who is roasting. Some of them roast a little bit more than others, but uh, we, we make sure that all of them have been roasting during a month. Just to be sure, like, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Maybe two are sick at the same time or, uh, while one is on holiday, you know, all this kind sure. of thing. So, so that's one thing. And then all the baristas who work in our bar, they are able to come into the roster and do the packing shifts. So those that's are the people nice. who do the packing. 
So, you know, just looking forward, you've seen the industry come from where it was when you got into it. And over the last 20 years, things have changed, both in terms of the equipment that's available, the market. I always like to ask people like, okay, any any guesses? I mean, it's hard to say for sure which way the industry is going to go, but any guesses how you think the industry is going to develop in the next couple of years? Anything that you have hunches like, hey, things could continue to go in this direction, either because of advances in technology or cultural changes around COVID or just the development of the industry or, or farming or any of it. I'm just curious, like, where do you see... Take it in any direction you want. Oh, in terms of farming, I think you will see more specialized farms that specialize in kind of custom making coffees for clients. And uh, in terms of roastery, I will. I th- I'm guessing that we will see a li- little bit more consolidation, like meaning some roasters will disappear and some will grow bigger. Some will buy out, out others, mm-hmm. like the, what happened in the beer industry. They were just like 10 years ahead of us. But I think also you'll see more polarization because a lot of people are trying to compete on price. So you'll see a lot of those who grow bigger will start to compete on price and maybe start to buy cheaper coffees and sell cheaper coffees. And then you will have the other ones who are kind of still like us, only focusing on higher qualities and buying more expensive coffees. So I think you will see a little bit more polarization. And I think that goes with the farming as well. You will see... You know, the majority of farmers don't have the resources and the capacity to customize coffees while the ones who do are able to kind of get much higher prices for their coffees. So I think, you know, the middle part will probably disappear in the long run, which is kind of what we have seen in cycles, I guess. Okay, this is my last question. and I'll, I'll turn it over and see if Max has any questions. The other thing that impressed me when I was there that that kind of really impacted me is that when you go to a lot of specialty coffee brands, they are able to have really great Ethiopian coffees and they're able to have really great Kenyan coffees. And because those coffees are, I mean, easier to find great coffees in those areas. Mm. But one of the things that impressed me when I was there is your Mexican and your Colombian coffees were also just really outstanding. You know, it was origins that usually if you find specialty coffee companies serving, maybe maybe they're okay, but they're not really where the Ethiopians and Kenyans and stuff are. Just because it's harder to find good stuff in those regions. Obviously in Colombia, you have your own farm, so maybe that makes it a little easier. But I'm just curious, like, how do you go about finding a good Mexican coffee? And then my question also was like, how much is it is just that they've really found the way to roast this coffee. Maybe maybe this coffee is is really good Mexican, but maybe they've taken more care than the average person to go, how can we take this one coffee and make it something really special, make it something uh, unique? Well, I think it's the, almost the opposite. I don't consider us to be a very good roastery in terms of we could probably work more on our roasting profiles and have more theories on how to improve the roasts. But what we are very good at is to develop high-quality green coffee together with farmers. Once you have extremely good ingredients, it's, you can roast it to a 90% perfection, so to say, and it will taste fantastic, you know. And even if you're at 80%, it will taste pretty good. So uh, it's, I think it's a combination of it, of course, but uh, mainly because we do all the work with the farmers and have 
been working with the same people for over 10 years. We have a very good system of processing, drying, storing, and also milling the coffees and packing the coffees, making sure that the shelf life is taken care of. And once you kind of have that, for me, the most important part about drinking a coffee is not necessarily that it's overly aromatic, but that it's sweet and has a very nice kind of mouth feeling. It's clean. That's kind of the most important part for me. And then if it tastes like fruit or flowers, you know, it's fantastic. But uh, that's not my main focus when I buy coffees. I want, I, I want to know that the coffee has been well taken care of on the farm and in the storage and milling before I buy it. So, you know, it's, for me, it's a matter of actually finding, first of all, a farm with potential that has a good altitude and all these kind of things. And then most importantly, it has a person that's willing to do changes on their farms mm. because uh, we can always plant new varieties that taste better. We can always tweak the process, which is very easy. Uh, we can always build more dryers and change the drying methods, all these kind of things. Those are very easy things to do, but you need to have land with potential and person with the right attitude in order to achieve that goal. And um, we are getting uh, better and better. Actually, this year, I think the coffees we're getting from Latin America is better than ever. And I know what's in the pipeline. We have been planting new varieties with each farmer. And we know that those varieties are getting in now. And, you know, in three, four, five years, we'll start to get really spectacular stuff there in small volumes, of course. But um Stuff that is very different in flavor, which then can be as spectacular as Ethiopian and Kenyan coffees, I think. Okay, I'm going to apologize. I, uh, I promised that was my last question, but one, <laughs> your, answer, your answer brought up another question. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm actually working on a project where I'm writing a book for cafes, specifically for cafe owners, helping them understand the importance of not just systems, but actually values-based leadership. You know, like in most industries, that's uh, values-based leadership is kind of the standard. But somehow in the coffee industry, a lot of uh, small coffee shops maybe never took the time to articulate what their values are. But I'm just curious, because you started talking about systemization. I'm just curious, like uh, at the cafe level, if we were to talk to one of your baristas, it, would they know... Uh, kind of what your values are that you use to run the business? Would they be able to uh, articulate those? Well, we have a set of values that we have written down and it's actually on the door of our uh, staff room in the cafe, but I, I doubt that they have read it very often and remember it. But they would be able to tell you the essence, you know, that our company's DNA is all about, you know, working closely with coffee producers, making sure they're paid a fair price, making sure we get the best possible coffee and try to roast it and brew it as you know, good as we can. Like, we want to kind of try to have a positive impact on the coffee world by doing the right thing according to what we believe is the right thing. So I think they would be able to explain that in maybe not a very few words, but you know, if you had a five-minute conversation, I think it would leave the cafe with the impression of, okay, this is what they're all about. That's really cool. Well, thank you so much for, for doing this. Thanks for what you're doing in the industry. Uh, Max, do you uh, pick your interest for any questions? Uh, hi, Tim. Yeah, last time we were talking about efficiency, square meter, and having some sort of score that I wanted to, to develop. 
I have some questions I can ask them now, but uh, if I want real figure and if you need time, uh, if you need to do some research, uh, I can send you something. Yeah. But so the, f- the first one is you were saying uh, you basically was four ton a month in yeah. two days per week. Yeah, the first week of the month we roast four days a week because that's when we do the subscription. So and then you would know what is the let's say uh, Monday. Uh, I would split it in two to make it simple: the people roasting and the people doing all the rest. This is something uh, that is always the same. Three shifts during a roasting day. So okay. that's uh, three three shifts uh, times seven and a half hours. And one is focused on the roasting and two on the rest. Yeah. And then, of course, we have an administration that sits here and plans everything. Yeah, but that's basically one person doing, you know, three days a week. But, of course, they do other stuff as well, like answering emails and contacting customers. Yeah, 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 the administration part is a good point. But, okay, okay. And then I have some more general questions. So, about your operation in the roastery, what's the part you are the most... I don't know if proud is the right word, but the, the, the part that each time you see it working, you think this is really working great uh, <laughs> in your operation. Can be a, a process, can be a design that you made when you think of your roastery, can be anything, but something you think that's pretty good. It's quite easy to answer, actually. I think our system in general is working really well. Everyone knows what to do when they come to work. We have like a, actually a written system it's a ring binder of folder with tasks, daily tasks that they need to, you know, do every day they're there. And each day is a little different, but everyone is trained in this system, whether it's in our coffee shop, in our office, actually, or in the roastery. We have three different systems, but they're, they, the design is the same. And I think that this is what I'm very good at, <laughs> making systems that work so that, like I tell our baristas, you're not going to learn how to be the best barista in the world when you work for us, but you're going to learn how to be the best possible barista in our store. So it's very easy to make coffee in our store because we have made it a system that you're just going to learn, you know? That's kind of what I'm the most proud of, I think. And also cleanliness, I think. I don't have to go and tell them to clean. They, they know that they need to clean, and that's part of that system, but it, it's sometimes hard to make people do, you know? Even just to clean the person, our toilet, you know, we even do that. <laughs> because if you re- rely on some other person to do it, it starts to get messy. Yeah. And then uh, you mentioned a bottleneck uh, when you were talking about your operation. And um, yeah. so it's, it's a term I, I really, I also use it all the time for what I do. But the question then is, um, there will be always one bottleneck, right? Because yeah. uh, there has to. In your case, does it mean now you're working on this bottleneck, improving it, or how does it work? You, you identify it? Uh, where are you at with this? Yeah, we, we actually used to have two bottlenecks. Uh, the first one was labeling the bags, because we do that manually. And yeah. now we actually have a machine that's doing it, so we actually doubled our capacity on or took away half the time we spent on it. To label 100 bags, we normally would spend 15 minutes First printing out the stickers and then putting on the stickers on the bag. So 15 minutes total. And now we spend around eight minutes uh, in total if we are not doing it fast, like if we're doing it in normal tempo. You can do it fast, you can do it in maybe six minutes. 
that was uh, something I worked on now during COVID, actually, just because I had to do it myself and I saw how inefficient it was. The reason why I never thought about it before is because we we used to do it in the store. You know, you have quiet times during the day where you have three baristas right. there and we would just label the bags, you know. But now when we have to have a person coming in on Mondays to do it, we I realized, you know, oh, we're spending three hours on this every Monday. <laughs> So yeah. now we're down to one and a half hour instead, which is a lot of time, but it still needs to be done, you know. And uh, to have a fully automated, with the bags we have, it would cost us a lot more to invest in a machine and it wouldn't get very precise because of the valve on the bag. It makes the bags a little hard to handle, actually. So uh, that was one. And the other one is uh, to, to vacuum seal the bags. Uh, is definitely a bottleneck and... I'm kind of on the lookout for more automation on that, but uh, at the moment I haven't really found a machine that is very efficient on it. So I know there are machines out there that can help us do this much faster, but they're extremely expensive and I would have to hire a technician to work with us full-time during production days because having talked to other roasteries who have these machines, they have so many different sensors that need to be adjusted all the time because of all the movements in the machine. So you kind of need to have a a good technician available uh, every day that you're producing because there's always something happening. You know, I, I don't think we have the volume to kind of defend that kind of machine at the moment. Yeah, and, and you have incredibly low man day per ton and you would increase it by one with this technician during the season. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, so I mean, it's a bottleneck, but it, it's still like uh, once we, if everything flows like normal, uh, normally when we have roasted the last batch, maybe they have two or three batches left to seal, you know? So it's not, yeah. it's not a huge bottleneck. So it's kind of synchronized with the roasting, actually. Okay. Well, uh, that's all I have for now. Uh, if I have more questions on the score and it starts to look like a tool and I need your input, I can just send it to you. Yeah, yeah no problem. Whenever you need it. <laughs> Great. Well, hey, hey Tim, I, I never really gave you feedback after coming, but uh, it was just an absolute pleasure to be there. I was so inspired. I love efficiency. I love people that have found ways to use systems to help people work better and do a better job and come up with a better outcome. And yeah. it's just so clear being around your place that You're thinking and planning uh, and on a level that I rarely see in the coffee industry, frankly. And it, it was just inspiring to me how that worked itself out in a space with no clutter, how it worked itself out in a cafe that just operated so nicely. But it's so difficult to touch all those different parts of the industry. I mean, I think roasting is one thing, but a cafe is like having a newborn baby, you know, it's always got some issue going on. And then, uh, and then having a farm is like having three newborn babies and a grandma all at the same time, you know? And so <laughs> the fact that you're able to, to touch all these parts of the industry, I mean, frankly, it wouldn't be possible without the systems you put in place to help, help them all run smoothly. And it sounds simple, but I think it's the area in the industry that's the most lacking when I see things. So I was really inspired. And then lastly, just also by your team, it was just really great. You could just tell people enjoy what they're doing. And it's just a reminder that systems actually don't restrict people. They actually create freedom. It actually creates a space 
of comfort where people know what they're doing and they still can use some level of creativity with inside that system, but there's clear sandbox to play in, you know, and I could feel that among your staff. They're enjoying what they're doing and yet they're doing it incredibly efficiency. And I don't, I don't believe those things are at odds with each other. I don't believe, in, in fact, I believe quite the opposite. I believe systems actually can be the, the main driver of creating efficient, but also enjoyable workspaces. So yeah, I don't know if I ever told you that when I was there because we were kind of busy working, but yeah, I was really impressed. Yeah, and then we had COVID. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. Well, that was like the, that was like the, uh, the end of, of normal life when we were there. Yeah. Because right after that, Max got stuck in America for months and we, we tried to make oh. him into American, but we failed. Uh, yeah. So... You know, yeah. when you uh, when you're from uh, where he is from, then uh, it's hard to hard to move. There out. is 